overhead. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around his, him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then. Everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out of the presence of the Lord. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabagians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell on the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And our second Bible passage comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, on the overhead or on page 1081. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. I come to you today with um, things on my heart, as I suspect everyone in the room has something on your heart. We seldom come into contact with other people with a, a clear uh, lack of experience going on in our lives for what has happened that particular day. All of us, um, have, we have friends, we have good things going on or bad things going on or 
we go into experiences expecting the best and suddenly the worst comes out or we expect the worst and the best comes out. Remember that, Chris? I know that was for you. The point is we're all human beings and we, we're living in a world that uh, has good experiences and bad experiences, but all of those experiences are things that make up life. Today's topic is related to a definition of success. And I'm not uh, one who's extremely creative with all these great ideas and uh, definitions uh, that can, can make us uh, thrill that I've come up with something brand new and has never been thought through before. But I, I come to you saying that we all need to be reflective as we live in a world that defines success quite often very differently than what a Christian uh, should see in that word. Yesterday I was in Seattle uh, speaking at a, a meeting and um, we got off into a particular discussion uh, trying to determine how we viewed the world in which we live and how we do ministry. And um, there was a, a perspective that was somehow being neglected in our discussion. Uh, and that is how Christians handle certain issues and then how the secular world handles certain issues. And trying to get that communicated to the particular uh, uh, person who was leading that particular session was very difficult because for her somehow... In her thinking, uh, she, she just could not divide and recognize that we view things differently and that a Christian's values, a Christian's definitions, not only probably are, but should be different. We should not fear being different, but we need to know why we're different. Looking at the word success this morning, if we had time, I would go around and talk to each and every one of you or have you meet in groups. And it's always a temptation to try that again. But as we've just read Job's story, I will confess to you that I'm struggling this morning. You know, last week I asked you, everybody raise your hand, how many of you believe you're going to die? You know, and the answer was everybody in the room. Only all of us are going to die. Now, we don't know the date. We don't know if it's next week or next year or 30 years or 50 years, when it's going to be, but it's coming. So the question is, are we preparing? And are we living our lives the way that we can be proud to say we've made a contribution of significance in the name of Jesus? See, as Christians, we've got that uh, special privilege because we're part of the family. And we have to recognize people are watching us. So the way we walk each and every day is important. But death is not something we need to fear. Death is part of life, and like I said, everyone's going to have it. And yet, having said that last week, and really believing it with my heart to the core of my being, I will tell you I'm coming this morning needing your prayers. About two hours ago, I got an email from a friend 
in China who shared with me that one of our mutual friends in the Philippines had just passed on. This friend in the Philippines is a very good friend. I've known him well. By just about everybody's definition, he is extremely successful. He's made millions of dollars in his life. He's a graduate of George Washington University in D.C., MBA, around 55 years of age. He had a heart attack in the night and died. No one expected it. Very, very healthy. If you had asked me, I would have said he'll live another 25 or 30 years. But he's gone, just like that. That's all it takes. That much time, and you're gone. So this morning, I'm feeling a sense of loss. I'm looking at someone that was, by most definitions, successful. But it's why I want to go ahead and go forward with this particular sermon topic, and that is for us to challenge ourselves and ask ourselves, what do you think is a successful life? We looked at Job, chapter 1, and we saw a man who um, had uh, different relationships going on. Materially, was Job successful? Really was. Not bad. I mean, all kinds of animals and all kinds of property, children, the whole thing. Family. Families. How many kids? Ten. And <clears throat> most of them were boys. A little prejudice on my part, but you know, what can I say? You know, so, I mean, family doing great. Financially, he's doing great. Materially great. Spiritually, how was he? Very, very connected with God. He would go and pray even when he didn't have a sin that he knew about. Just in case. Socially, said he was perfect and upright as a person. The depth, the offerings to God on behalf of his family, not just on behalf of himself, he would give offerings. And yet, in almost anyone's definition, this man would be successful, true or false. So what's the problem? Why would be such a successful man ever have such a bad day? You know, you talk about, oh man, today has been a bad day. You've never known a bad day until you've looked at Jonah's bad day. I mean, uh, Job's bad day. Well, Jonah had some pretty bad ones too. We won't talk about that today, though. But Job's bad day was serious. When you have your children die, the animals are gone, everything, your whole world is turned upside down. So he had a definition for bad day way beyond ours. Job is a story of courage, and of character. We see a servant in him. Now, I have a question for you. If you were Job's wife, and suddenly you heard your husband say, coming and talking about all the kids have just been killed, all that you've ever owned has been taken away, pretty much just the world's crumble as you know it, how would you as the wife give him 
any kind of advice. I should, I guess I could ask Jack, wherever he is, for that word of wisdom. How do you encourage, you know, how does a wife, what do we expect from a wife at that point? Well, it's okay, everything will be fine. What do you think a wife would say at that point? We know what the Scripture tells us. The Scripture goes on and the Scripture tells us that his wife, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, said, curse God and die. Just forget it. Give up. You know, if you're going to have all this bad stuff happen to you, got to have been a reason. I may not understand why. You may not understand why, but just give up. Surrender. Curse God and die. Now, that's not great counseling advice, probably. Is that accurate, Jack? That would be missing the point, I think. But uh, how about if you were one of his friends? You know, this story says that, that Bildad and, uh, and then and Zophar and Ephesus, they all three got in there and they're being good buddies. And again, we've talked about this before. Who you choose for friends or mentors or advisors is very important in your life. Don't believe everybody you know should be your advisor. Don't believe everyone you know should be the person you really listen closely to because some of those people don't know what they're talking about. But in this particular case, he had three of his good friends with their great words of wisdom who came around to help. If you were one of his friends, how would you have thought you would have given him advice? Your good friend has just had all of his family, all of his things, everything that showed what a quality man of God he was and how God had put his hand specially on his life and blessed him. See, the problem is, Part of our definition of being blessed is mixed into the world's definition. And we will say a person is blessed because of the things we've obtained, the comforts we have, the life we live, where we get to go, the salaries you make, whatever. We say, oh man, he's blessed. He's blessed. Well, the friends were looking at it and saying, you were blessed, but you're not blessed now. Their definition was as soon as things became bad, blessings gone, we give up. We will tell you the same thing. You're a failure. There must be something wrong. So his good friends, the ones that walk with him every day, good buddies, suddenly turn to him and say, you know, you must have some hidden sin. You've got something that's between you and God. Otherwise, this wouldn't be happening. Is that what you would have said to him? If you were, if one of your good friends suddenly that's been doing fine had the bank come in and took away their home, took away their car, suddenly their children were killed in a car accident, what would you say? It'll be okay. Everything will be fine. Why don't you come move in with us? We'll take care of you. His good friends came to him and said, there must be something wrong between you and God. So they had words of wisdom, but their words were not encouraging words. And eventually, as we read through the story, we realize the words that they shared were not the words that God wanted them to share. Because it was showing this kind of mentality that if things go well and things go comfortable and things go smoothly, this equals... God cares about you and loves you. Nowhere in the Scripture does it say that. 
Indeed, if you look in Scripture, where did Paul write some of the books of the Bible? When he was in prison. When he had been beaten. Those weren't days. I'm sure Paul didn't say, gee, today is the day that the Lord has made rejoice and be glad in. Now that's scriptural. And certainly we need to be that optimistic. We need to be joyful in our walk with the Lord. But not every day you get up and say, boy, sure does feel good that they beat me last night. And then I get to sit around inside this prison floor with uh, just rock on the ground and hardly any food to eat. Boy, I sure am happy to be here. So I think I'll just write a story. Paul was in difficult times. And still, he found joy in the Lord. And he wrote, and he was still blessed. But the blessing of God is the presence of God in our lives. It's carrying us through the difficult times. It's giving us a perspective that I am chosen and that God will carry me through it all. And that one day, as the Scripture says, I too will walk with God. There is confidence in the future. You need not fear. But it does not mean, gee, every day is going to be great. Every day is going to be simple and very comfortable. If you were Job, if you were Job himself, would there not have been confusion in your heart trying to understand where God is? You've been consistently a follower every day. You go out and you give your offering. You take your time to bow down. You know that not everybody else is doing that, but you're doing it, even on behalf of your children. So you're trying to be that humble servant God wants you to be. And suddenly you turn and you say to God, I don't understand. And that's what he was saying. He wasn't saying, curse you, God, even though the wife said, just do it. Die. It's okay. He was saying, that's wrong. Somehow that's wrong. I don't know what's right, but I do know what's wrong. And the right part to me seems to be, no matter what, to realize that God, just as Naomi prayed a few minutes ago, the Creator God knows what He's doing. I don't understand it all. I don't have to understand it all. But I'm going to remain faithful to Him no matter what. Brothers and sisters, I tell you, it's not easy for me either. There are times when I want to know the answer. If I have done this, this, and this, and this, I want to know the answer. Why? Can't I know more clearly what's next? And it just seems like the clarity's not there. But I do know one thing, just as Job has taught me. Whether I know the answer quickly or slowly, God is still God, and I have been created by Him for purpose. And that's the same for you. God doesn't have accidents. You are not an accident. God wants to bless you, and He wants to use you. But you may not see the blessing even in your lifetime. You know, we've seen many times in history where the witness of someone like you could influence two generations down someone else because of your consistency of walk with the Lord. So the issue still for us is, are we consistent? Are we faithful? Are we focused? 
So when we look at the issue of, of uh, our character and our definitions of success, I want to read the words of a song. You should be thankful this morning I'm not going to sing the song. Um, I want to read the words of a song that um, has spoken to me a number of times. He came home from work last night to find that she was gone. Now he's spending his first Sunday sitting in the pew alone. There are whispers all around him. His heart breaks in two. He's wondering who will reach out and help him make it through. Who will be Jesus? Who will show the love that restores him again? He doesn't need a judge. He needs a friend. Who will be Jesus to him? She has a reputation like the woman at the well. The only love she ever knew was the kind she buys and sells. But her thirsty heart is searching for a love that will be true. The Savior cries for her to see himself in me and you. Who will be Jesus to her? Who will show the love that's commanded in his word? Will she see in us the mighty God we serve? Who will be Jesus to her? Wounded people are everywhere. And when they look at us, do they see Jesus there? Who will be Jesus to them? Who will show the love that restores them again? They do not need a judge. They need a friend. Who will be Jesus to them? Who will be Jesus to them? The challenge for us as Christians is to walk what we talk about. It's easy to read the Scripture. It's easy to study more. It's easy to memorize more. It's easier to know more. But if there is an inconsistency in our love with what we teach, we're not being effective. There is a weakness and a challenge in our character. And I would challenge us to say maybe we're not the kind of successful people we should be. When you think of Paul, was Paul successful? You remember Paul, the guy in the Bible, the, the, the one, some of you remember that anyway, I'm sure. Was he successful? Why? Educated? Okay. So education equals successful. There we go. This sounds like a Chinese church, you know. <laughs> what else? What else makes him successful? Something about churches. I heard the word. Okay. He was involved in helping churches. Okay. What was this? Over here I heard somebody. Gentiles. Oh, reached out to Gentiles, okay? Reached out to Gentiles. Okay? Anybody else? Successful? Consistent. How about Peter? Was Peter successful? Why was Peter successful? Because he'd gotten the Bible, so therefore he must be successful. Chop, chop. No, done deal. Anybody in the Bible, chop, successful. 
My stamp is really powerful. I had to stamp it on there. Peter, what do you think? God gave him the, the key to heaven. Anyone else? Peter. Educated? No. Sorry. Not a lot. But he's a good fisherman. Good fisherman. So maybe the key is if you want to be real successful, you've got to be a good fisherman. What else? Anybody else? Huh? Repentant. Uh, yeah, he had not much choice. Um, <laughs> repentant. Um, as we know, Peter's story is one of those um, great stories of a guy that I personally like Peter very much. He's one of my favorite characters because I can relate to him because he made so many mistakes. And I'm really good at mistakes. But Peter, as we know, he got around Jesus. He got to walk with Jesus, which I really envy. And yet, even though he walked with him every day and he told Jesus, I'm your man. I'm your number one friend. Any problem you get in the future, no problem. I'm right there beside you. And then Jesus said, no, you're wrong. You need to look at a spiritual mirror. You've got a problem. And I promise you, you'll know it later. And of course, we know that three times he denied even knowing Christ. And at that point, ding, the light came on. And he realized pride is not a good thing. And that you can fail. But I think part of his success very much is, as you have said, repentance. Because even after failing, Peter came back into the game, you know. It's sort of like playing hockey. You know, he, yeah, he got pulled up, but he came back in. He had, took, had another chance. And when he came back in again, he really scored. Because we see in chapter 2 of Acts, where Peter came before his friends, and he preached a super sermon but the sermon, I like the content of the sermon because he went in and he said, you know, you folks need to understand who we are as Jewish people. And he went back and reviewed their history where God had worked in their lives, what he had done throughout their whole history. And in the end of his sermon, then the people started saying, Mr. Peter, sir. Mr. Pe of course, he wasn't an ordained minister, so he was just Mr. Peter. Mr. Peters, sir, tell us, what do we do? And he said, you've got to repent, just like I have. You've got to change. You need to be baptized. You need to follow Christ with your full life. You know, we're going to have a baptismal service at Easter. Baptism is good for Christians because it's a symbol of our walk with the Lord. It does not make you become a Christian. It's a confirmation of your relationship with Christ. But Peter told them what to do, gave them the definition. So yeah, very successful because he was humble enough to repent. Was Jesus, you know, the, the guy that's supposed to be our number one model, right? Was Jesus a success? Why was Jesus a success? Good education? Uh, uh, rich? Uh, uh, everybody liked him? Uh, 
You know, we, we have our definitions of success. And we look at Jesus, or we look at Job. In Job's story, it's a little different because we see the way that Job went through these difficult, difficult times. And ultimately, God was with him and gave him another chance. And he, in the, at the end of the scripture, it goes ahead and it talks about how his friends have uh, walked alongside him and given him poor advice. But then another younger man comes into the picture. And Elihu comes into the picture and says to Job uh, and, and to the friends, says, no, uh, you're over-interpreting. You guys are over-interpreting the situation. You are trying to put him as being a sinner and therefore needing to clean up, clean up his sin and all this kind of thing. And I think your problem is you're over-defining who God is. You think you understand God, but there's a problem. Somehow you've forgotten that God's definition of success, God's definition of blessing, God's definition of caring for people may not match yours. See, the thing is, we create God in our image too often. We try to have God match something we can understand. You know, most of us, if, you, if someone gave you a pen or a pencil and said, draw me a picture of God, some people would actually start trying. And as we would make God into our image. When in fact, we were created by God. The comment has made, been made many times saying, if you could really understand God, you would have to be God. Because he is, his, his comprehension and his values and his understanding of the total picture is so much greater than ours. We talk about BCBC, our church. We want to see our church be very much on track for its purpose and its meaning and its direction. We want to be here because we're reaching people in Vancouver for Jesus. We want to be here because we know God has placed us here with meaning and purpose. Beyond any of the issues we've been through, it's we want to put our car in first gear and get moving. We want to do that because we believe God has us here with reason, not an accident. When we try to relate to God, we cannot box Him up. We cannot tell Him how He's going to use us, how He's going to work within us. But we can ask for His guidance, and we can be bold in following and moving forward. And that's why the Scripture is so valuable to us. Because we can know the character of God, and we can learn more and more and more about His definition of success. When we look at Job, his success was no matter what advice he got from any of his friends, no matter what he heard from different people, he continued to say, I don't understand it all because you are God, not me. I want to be blessed in whatever that definition of blessing it is that you want for me. I don't understand it. My friend who died... And me learning about it a couple of hours ago. I will be frank with you. This morning, it has been heavily on my heart. Trying to think about this. And trying to imagine at his age and in his health condition, 
what it was like. Now, it's not been heavy in the sense that I felt, oh, it's so strange he died. Because as I've said, we're only all going to do that. But there is a sense of loss. There's a sense of frustration because I couldn't help. Couldn't do anything. Those are very human reactions and there's nothing wrong with those. But they do remind me, come back to God. Come back to successful definition. My friend could have been more successful if his success definition had not been around money, materialism, and the successes of the world we live in. You see, he was one who by definition of the world was successful. By God's definition, that particular friend, not very successful. He played church. He was Catholic. He would go. He would take his family occasionally. They did the church thing. But as you know, believing in religion is not of any value. I, you know, there's a term that we often say... Uh, in different places, when they're using Chinese, they'll say, I believe Christianity. I've heard them say that in Cantonese so many times. And every time I hear it, I just, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And I've said that to many a person. Oh, you, I'm really sorry to hear that. And they always give me this very strange look. And then I take the opportunity to tell them, well, I believe in Christ, but I really don't care about the Christianity from the religion perspective. That I happen to be a Christian because I'm a Christian. I'm not a Christian because I'm a part of Christianity. It's my walk with Jesus that gets me here. We want people to come to know Jesus in a personal way. We want to see people depend on Him. Those people are successful. Job's success was his dependence on God beyond his own understanding. My prayer for you, brothers and sisters, today is that you will also know the joy of depending beyond your own understanding. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you recognizing our own limitations. We come recognizing that we are sinners, by your definition, we are broken in our relationship with you because of our own pride. We think we can function without you and we don't really need you some of the time. God, for that we ask your forgiveness. Father, we ask that this church would be a lighthouse on a hill for the people who need to know you. Father, we would ask that because we are Christians as brothers and sisters in our walk with you, that you would use us and you would bless us in the way you want us to be blessed, that we could know what it is to be successful with the lives you have given us. In Jesus' name.